One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, that his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? He entered the house of God when Abathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and he gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even on the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there who had a withered hand. They watched him to see whether he would cure him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the, said, and he said to the man who had a withered hand, Come forward. Then he said to them, It is lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill. But they were silent. He looked around at them with an with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Mark chapters 2, verses 23 through chapter 3, verse 6. All right. So, uh,. That, that chapter is so intense because it starts with Sabbath, which we'll get into in just a little bit. But then it goes with this like this this weightedness of the Pharisees were wanting to look for a way to destroy or to kill Jesus at that point on. And usually when I prepare a sermon, I just sit in the text for a while and I pray over it. And I try to figure out, okay, what is it that God needs to speak out to the community? What is it that we need to hear? And I thought it would go a whole different direction, but it didn't. So bear with me. (laughs) Um, This week, uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom uh, passed a moratorium or a pause on capital punishment for death row inmates in California. And he passed it for a myriad of reasons. But one of the reasons comes with the question that I feel like is anchored in this text that we are reading today. And the question is, who deserves to die? And I think today's scripture reading asks that question, who deserves to die? Jesus had come onto the scene into this area of Galilee and he's like preaching the gospel everywhere he goes about the kingdom of God, turning from your old ways of living, returning back to the precepts of God. He was teaching about what the kingdom of God looks like. He was healing people and he also was subtly forgiving people here and there. He was uh, forming friendships and trusts with people of objectionable character. And if Jesus just stayed on the right path of healing the sick, of teaching about God in the synagogue, because that's where you're supposed to teach about God, if he just stayed in his lane, doing the right and the acceptable things, no extreme measures would be needed. But he didn't. Jesus kept going outside that right path. He kept like jumping over the guardrails that were put in place. And there was this fear out there, like, what if his behavior gave other people permission to do the same thing? What if his alternative ideas about how sins are forgiven began to catch on? And he started to lead Jews away from the temple. 
How many times over the years had the Israelites walked away from God's laws? Would this charismatic and new teacher be compelling enough for people to walk away from the tradition they've always held so dear? And now he's like best friends with sinners and tax collectors. He's gaining this huge following. He's becoming popular in outside villages from where he's in. This guy with these new and foreign beliefs must be silenced and stopped before it gets too out of hand. For the good of our religion, for our way of living, this guy needs to die. He deserves to die. It's better for one death in this man than a whole people being led astray. This is not a new story. This idea that a person or a people group deserve to die for the betterment of everyone else is an old story that still infects the hearts and minds of every human. And there's this real problem in our world that those who believe they are better than or more enlightened than or more holy than another person or people, they then have the right to stop them or silence them or even kill them. And this belief and emotion doesn't just arrive one day. It usually begins with a comment that they've read somewhere on Facebook or it's some sort of experience that they had with that person that offended them in some way and it grows and it festers within the human heart. And then that person, instead of stomping that down or believing it's not true or seeking an outside source, will begin to start reading more about that other group and find stories about their lack of worth, allow that hate to build and grow, all while believing if that person or those people no longer existed, the world would be a better place. This belief is insidious within humanity. We saw it and we felt it in action on Friday when we heard about Christ Church New Zealand when a white supremacist terrorist walked into a Muslim house of worship and during prayers, he opened fire and killed 51 of our brothers that he believed were not worth living. He wasn't born to hate. He didn't wake up one day just all of a sudden hating. His hate grew as he nurtured opportunities that made him believe it was his duty to silence and stop those from another belief system, those not like him. And when we look throughout the world, we can see this all over the place. We see Christians and the other part of our world that are hated and imprisoned and killed for their beliefs. The Holocaust started and thrived because there was a belief that one group of people was way better than the others, and so the others deserved death. Genocide within Rwanda between the Hutus and the Tutsis caused over a million deaths in the 90s because of a belief that people deserve to die. Gay people and the LGBTQ community has faced horrific discrimination and death from those who believe they deserve to die. Abortion providers have been murdered because the righteous belief that they deserve to die. The police in Arcata now carry Narcan with them to help an addict survive an overdose and live 
beyond that overdose. And many people, if you read any of the sources out there, many people believe that this is an absolute waste of resources because homeless addicts deserve to die. If they are dead, the problem goes away. If those other religious perspectives are dead, if gay people are dead, if brown people are dead, if Christians are dead, if abortion providers are dead, the problems go away. And the story that we just read in Mark includes that end with that right and holy and correct thinkers plotting the death of Jesus. That story that, Mark's t- that Mark tells is an old story. It began with Cain killing Abel. Because Cain believed if Abel was gone, all of his problems would go away. And this thinking lives deeply within us all. But before the silence that came from Christ's death on the cross, and before those fearful of change and those who are cushioned by hate tried to mute Christ, I believe Jesus Christ came to reveal a different way. A way where Cain doesn't have to kill Abel. A way where people are no longer controlled by their desire to be right all the time. A way of the humility and the grace and the acceptance of God the Father through Jesus Christ is given to all people. And one of the ways that I believe that we find ourselves in that space of humble grace is through the practice of Sabbath. There were two main expressions in the Jewish faith that set the people of God apart from the rest of the peoples. And those outside expressions, not the internal laws and rules and obeying, that sort of thing, but those outside expressions were the law of circumcision and the law of Sabbath. We first read about the law of Sabbath in the beginning pages of Genesis in the Hebrew Bible where God spoke every day of creation into existence but then included an extra day to simply be, where God didn't create and instead rested. Not because God was tired or not because God just didn't want to create anymore, but because God wanted this rhythm of creating and resting to be a defining characteristic of what it means to be human. Because when we stop from producing and stop from creating or maintaining our busy schedules, when we divorce ourselves from our work, we, don't, we no longer find our meaning and our identity in our work. We find our, our meaning and our identity in simply being humans created in the image of God. Instead of finding our identity in what we can produce, we find our identity simply in our being. There's a writer by the name of Anne Lamott, and she wrote about the Sabbath practice, and she said once, almost everything will work again if you unplug it for a few minutes. Even you. Even you. Sabbath was not given as another rule to follow, but as a a gift of grace to undo the years of slavery that the people of Israel had experienced. If you look throughout the book of Exodus and the book of Deuteronomy, what we see and read is that God had rescued the Israelites from Egypt where they were enslaved. 
And this is for generations. So it's your kids and then your grandkids are growing up in this mentality of, of brutal enslavement where every day you're only based on how much you can produce. You never get a day off. You can't remember a day off. You were born into this kind of life. It's all you've ever known. And you are found to be of worth by the amount that you could produce. There was no Sabbath. There was no resting or stopping or simply being. So when God rescued the people out of slavery, God wanted to rewrite their identity as free people. So Sabbath became a practice of justice before it ever became a practice of worship. Oftentimes when we see Sabbath, we're like, well, we got to show up to church on Sunday. We did the little Sabbath check. We gave the Lord's day to him. But that's not what Sabbath was ever meant to be in the first place. Justice became the act of worship through that Sabbath identity. Sabbath was a gift of grace to undo the slavery, to undo the production and that as identity making. Sabbath was a gift of grace. And sometimes we find ourselves enslaved in some ways. Sabbath is to undo the slavery in our lives, but sometimes I find myself enslaved to being right all the time. <laughs> so much so that we want to close our ears to another person's perspective or their beliefs or their experiences. And so instead of hearing their story, we assume we already know their story. We desire so deeply to be right that fear of getting it wrong causes us to hate. It causes it to grow within us to protect how right we are because we don't want to be wrong. And for the Pharisees, they were so deeply, they deeply wanted to please God. They deeply wanted to follow God's rules, but also in the process, they wanted to make sure everyone else was following the, the rules just like they understood the rules to be. And if anyone might show up with a different perspective or might break the rules or might start to bend them in any way, that person was dangerous and needed to be silenced. It was for the good of the community they needed Jesus to die because they believed it was their responsibility to have the right and the wrong answers. They believed it was in their DNA. It was their mandate to say this is right and this is wrong because God is black and white. But here comes Jesus making everything all gray. And if we can't sit in that discomfort of the gray, of some areas of life and people and situations and faith perspectives that are so different than what we might expect, what happens is hate can build up in our hearts because they're so obviously wrong and they need to be stopped. If you're not for me, then you're against me and you should be silenced or die. But Jesus came to undo that hostility towards other people. Jesus came to promote life. And then Sabbath was a gift of grace to humans to reposition their hearts towards life. Sabbath became that grace to undo slavery and uh, the slavery of being right all the time. 
Sabbath causes us to pause and to let go of control. It allows us to see God as gray and that God rules in the gray and for us to release that black and white way of seeing the people of this world. Sabbath washes away hate through humbly recognizing that God's in charge and we get to rest and unplug and be able to bring life into every situation and encounter that we have to bring glory to God. And through the grace of Sabbath, we recognize that God is the ultimate judge, that we are not. And so we lay down our desire to be right, to have the last word in every debate or argument, to silence those who are different from us. And instead, we are the bringers of life and not death. Through Sabbath, justice rules because God rules. And we are brought into that space of rest. Amen. Every week we gather together and we practice communion. It is our way of coming to this table with our myriad of differences. There are so many things that people would look at this place and wonder what they all have in common. But what we have in common isn't the amount of money we make or our upbringings or what kind of ways we've raised our children, or any of those things that seem to separate us. What we have in common is Jesus Christ. And so this table reminds us of our commonality. The bread represents Christ's body broken for us, and the juice represents his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. That every day we come before this table, it is like a way of unplugging and restarting. All of those things that we believe define us and our productivity and the ways that we believe people are too different from us are laid down and we get to refresh and restart. We practice open communion here in the United Methodist Church. You do not need to be a member of this church or any church to come forward. We just ask that you have a heart willing to receive Christ, all that Christ represents into your life. Uh, and you can, I'll give you a piece of bread and you can dip it in the juice. We'll sing together. Uh, We will sing Let Us Be Bread, which is in the Black Faith We Sing hymnal, number 2260. And you're welcome to sing along with us or listen as Doug sings. So let's pray as we go into our time of communion. Jesus, we thank you for the teaching that you gave here. We thank you that Mark was faithful to write them down, write these words down. Lord, we thank you that you are always making things new. And if anything in our heart that makes us believe we are better than anybody else is becoming calcified, I pray that Sabbath is that way of chipping away those thoughts. That we are reminded of the image of God in each person. And that each person is fearfully and wonderfully made. May we be those image bearers of life. We thank you and we praise you for this time. We pray blessing over the bread and over the juice. For your glory, Jesus. Amen.